I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everyone? Today I'm joined by Mark D'Amico. Mark's doing loads of work for the Celtics. He's one of the voices and faces of the Boston Celtics, him along with Amanda Flugrad. I'm sure you all know who he is. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, trying to stay safe, trying to stay indoors as much as possible. So jumping straight into it, I know we're kind of pressed for time. The first thing I really wanted to touch on was the, the news that came out today with Kemba Walker's knees, how he's kind of felt a little bit of soreness after the first practice. They've kept him out a little bit. Do you envision that being an issue throughout the rest of the season? Yeah, I, I, I think when you ask if it's going to be an issue for the rest of the season, my first response is an issue in terms of will it change the way that the Celtics use Kemba Walker as compared to if he had no issue at all? Yes, absolutely. Like I think that the Celtics are probably going to try to keep him um, in the low to maybe mid thirties in terms of minutes per game in the playoffs. Whereas if he did not have any issue at all, maybe he'd be playing close to 40 minutes during the playoffs per game. So I think it will affect the team and how many minutes he plays, but I don't necessarily think at this point, this is something that that Celtics fans and the Celtics in general need to worry about because as we all have to remember, these guys are going from literally playing no basketball and yes, they were able to work out by themselves um, during the hiatus. And then yes, they were able to work out with coaches um, in individual workouts leading up to them flying down to Orlando. But when they got to Orlando is literally the first time they've been able to play against other players, play in actual, um, you know, live basketball, five on five situations. So it's been a long time and they've got to work his knee back into it. And listen, he wasn't with the Celtic strength and conditioning staff um, during the hiatus. Obviously, they weren't able to be there with him. They were able to, you know, look at him the way I'm looking at you over over a Zoom call and tell him what to do on a daily basis to rehab. But they weren't able to be there to rehab with him. So it's not like he just had four months to go out and rehab as he would during a regular offseason. So um, you can't expect him to be, you know, ready to go from zero to 100 in one day and, and you know, jump right into full bore practice every single day. I think it's just going to be a ramp up period. And hopefully his knee deals with that fine and, and he's able to play plenty of minutes during the postseason. Another aspect that I looked at was when he originally joined the team, he was very vocal about wanting lower usage rate, trying to add a bit of longevity towards his career and getting the other guys more involved, which is something he didn't have the opportunity to do in Charlotte. Do you see him kind of being forced in a way to play more off-ball to save that, save his legs a little bit on the drives? Uh, I don't see that happening. Uh, I think, you know, if, if his legs and, and his knees bother him to the point where his game is really affected, and I'm talking about in a couple years, maybe down the line, two, three, four years from now, at that point, he's such a great shooter that he's going to be able to play off the ball more. But for now, like, I, I don't think the Celtics are, are going to force him to play off the ball. I think that if he does play off the ball, it's because the ball is in Jason Tatum's hands or Marcus Smart's hands or Jalen Brown's hands or Gordon Hayward's hands. Not be, And those guys are obviously capable of making plays on their own. I don't think the Celtics have to force him to play off the ball. I think he wants to play off the ball because it creates better shot opportunities for him, better driving opportunities for him. So if he's off the ball, I think that's just a part of the offense. I don't think that that's um, you know him doing that because of where, what his, his legs and his knee situation are. 
I've been under the impression that once Jalen, sorry, Jason Tatum evolves a little bit more as a playmaker out of the pick and roll, then that progression will happen more naturally anyway. For sure. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, even, even right now with Kemba coming back, it, it hopefully being a healthy guy when, when, when the seeding games start up in a, in a couple of weeks, we know that Tatum is option number one. Like Tatum has shown now that he is the guy. And, and I think Kemba Walker's totally fine with that. I think Kemba Walker's totally fine with being 1A to Tatum's one. Um, and, you know, the Celtics are going to be just fine um, in terms of, you know, last year, obviously, there wasn't enough balls to go around on the court. Like, there weren't enough shots to go around. Uh, the passes weren't there. This year, it's totally different on the court. Every, everybody is fine with their roles, and they actually enjoy each other, you know, being successful. Um, and, and they're celebrating a guy like Jason Tatum, who's taken a leap from – um, you know, potential star to all-star to now hopefully superstar. And talking about Jason Tatum, he's added a considerable amount of muscle to his upper frame. He, beginning of the season, he started to get to the rack more. He wasn't falling at first. It looked like his hand was a little bit heavy on the finish. Con fighting through contact's never really been an issue for JT too much. But do you feel this added strength and added muscle up top is going to make it just way easier for him to get the finger rolls and the one-handed layups? Now, I don't think there's any question. Anytime any player can put on weight, and I'm talking like even if it's LeBron James at this point of his career, if he gets stronger, it's going to help him in some way, shape, or form. It could be, you know, off the initial dribble, you know, once you get body contact, hip to hip, being able to fight through that. It could be fighting through contact up at the rim. Um, but Jason Tatum, you know, I asked him the other day, how much or have you actually put weight on and muscle mass during the hiatus? And he said yes but he wouldn't tell me how much and he wouldn't tell me how he put it on. Um, but, but he's definitely gained some weight during, during the hiatus and it's good weight. And, you know, everything that I've heard from reports from behind closed doors about the way that he's been playing has been that he has been on another level. Uh, and, and my guess is that that added weight is at least, you know, partially the reason why, why he's playing at such a high level behind closed doors. Behind closed doors, Brad Stevens mentioned, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, that the rookies, some of the rookies look like they've taken a big jump from where yeah. they were at the start of the year. Coming into the season, I was huge on Carson Edwards. It hasn't really worked for him up until this point, for whatever reason that may be. Tremont Waters seems to just be growing week by week and really improving. I'm excited to see that battle between those two guys for minutes. Do you envision either of those two having a rotational spot within at least the eight-game season before we head off to the playoffs? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that, that both of those guys are going to get an opportunity at some point during the seeding games, and they might have it, you know, a little bit more than just a game or two, uh, depending how, how Brad Stevens wants to shake this out in terms of what the minutes are going to be, what the workload's going to be. You know, I wrote a story uh, probably a week or two ago. It was a mailbag story, and someone asked about um, – I can't remember the exact question, but my response was – um, that I, I actually think that there's going to be some games during these seeding games where Brad Stevens might sit some of his starters and prefer to practice them hard on the court, on the practice court the day before or day after. And those are going to be great opportunities for guys like Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters. Tremont Waters had an unbelievable uh, season with the main red claws. Carson Edwards has been in, in a little bit of a more of a unique situation where he's mostly been with the Celtics and taken some runs down with the main red claws. Uh, but he's been with the Celtics for the majority of the season. Do not write him off. Trust me. 
the, the Celtics are very confident in what he is and what he will be in the future in his career. What we saw during summer league, you know, that, that wasn't just a flash in the pan. I think he's, he's a real NBA player. Um, he's got a strong build. He's, he's got the handles. He's definitely got the shot and he's certainly got the confidence. So don't, don't write Carson Edwards off just because of what you've seen from him during his rookie season. There's not really a role for him right now on this team. This team is stacked, uh, especially at the ball handler positions. Um, and the Celtics want to play as big as possible, you know, at the one through four positions. So um, I, I think we just got to wait and be patient with those guys. But I do think that they're going to have a shot um, at least at two or three games, I think, during the eight seeding games to play some minutes. I like you say, the team is stacked from top to bottom. Every roster spot is very competitive. They're going into the offseason with another three draft picks. Memphis is looking in a precarious position. They've got a very, very well-coached and polished team in Portland chasing them. Right behind them, they've got a buoy team from Zion and Lonzo. If, that, if they fall out of the playoffs, that pick obviously rockets up the standings, becomes far more valuable. How do you see the Celtics navigating, and this is just for your opinion, how do you see them navigating free agency with those draft picks? Well, you know, I, I don't foresee personally, uh, and this is not with any insight, I don't foresee a whole lot of change between this season and next season. Um, obviously, there, there's a lot of rookies, second-year guys at the, at the end of the bench, so they're going to have to figure out, you know, if they're going to use those three picks, if they have those three picks. If they're going to use them to draft players that they want to keep, they're going to have to figure out where they're going to make space on the roster um, to, to have those, those rookies come in. Um, obviously, having three picks to trade potentially for players is great. Um, if Memphis does not make the postseason, that pick becomes even more valuable. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a bad thing if, if that, became, uh, that pick went into the lottery and then somehow Memphis jumped up to the top, top couple picks and they got to keep that pick this year and then the Celtics would maybe roll over and have their pick next season unprotected. Um, so who knows what's going to happen with that, but you know, the Celtics have options going into this off season, just like they have really for the last three, four, five off seasons. Um, Danny Ainge loaded up on draft picks. He's hit a home run on, on at least two of them. Um, when you're talking about Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum. So, you know, either way, if they make the picks or if they trade the picks, you know, I, we all know. Trust in Danny, right? Trust in Danny. He's going to make the right move. Uh, and I'm confident that he'll do that this offseason. That's a good As short as that offseason is going to be, by the way, right? It's only going to be about a month and a half. I'm actually quite happy with that. I need basketball in my life at this point. <laughs> And you're around the guys, you're around the team, you're around the locker room. Kind of switching back to the players a little bit, can you speak on what type of impact Ennis Kanter had once he joined the team and how he's he, – because he just seems like a super fun guy, right? I'm he assuming. is, absolutely. He's always in a good mood. He's always, you know, trying to make people smile and have fun. And he's always having fun. Like, it's real. Like, he, what you see on social media is not just an act. Like, that's how he really is in a day-to-day -day life. I was a little bit worried. I didn't know Ennis Cantor at all. Uh, we had never spoken to each other. I'd never even interviewed him, um, even as an opposing player, before he came to Boston. I was a little bit worried about how he would react um, if he did become the backup center or even the third center. Um, and he's been the backup center uh, for all season long. And at times he's been the third center when Rob Williams has been healthy and for particular matchups. And he has been 
outstanding since the very beginning of the season. And when we're talking about being a teammate, um, he has uh, bought into his role. He has never complained. He has done exactly what Brad Stevens has asked. He has supported his teammates, no matter if it's the guy who's playing in front of him or if it's Kemba Walker, a point guard, or anyone else on the team. He supports everyone, and all he wants is the team's success. And someone asked him the other day, I actually think it was yesterday when he spoke to the media um, about his role potentially during the postseason coming off the bench, and he was like, guys, I've been in the postseason many times before, and I've come off the bench for many of those teams that I was in the postseason on. So he, he's totally comfortable with that role. And I think that he, you know, it sounds like lip service when you say, you know, buy into your role. I really think he's bought into it. And he really just cares about the team's success more so than his own. And on the floor, he hasn't actually been that bad. I actually done a deep dive on him recently, looking at how he done for Portland. And then the, the role he had in Portland versus the role he has in Boston. His numbers are great. I feel like he's been very like scapegoated in a way for some, especially when the Celtics had their tough time in January, early February. Yeah. A lot of people just look at the defense, um, but you know, every player has his strengths and weaknesses and some, some players have more strengths than weaknesses. Um, some have more weaknesses than strengths. Everyone concentrates on his defense as that weakness, um, but they don't really talk all that much about his strengths, which is the offensive rebounding, the rebounding in general, like those possessions that he adds to the team, they matter and they can potentially matter in the long run in terms of two extra points in the game that help the team to win um, as compared to what he's given up potentially at the defensive end. He hasn't been horrible defensively for the Celtics either. He's, he's had some nights where he's played solid defense and every single night he's always going to be a threat on offense around the rim and he's always going to be a threat to rebound at the offensive or defensive end. So he brings some strengths to the team that they simply, the, the Celtics wouldn't have without him. Um, and I think that's going to come into play during the postseason. There are specific teams where Ennis Cantor is going to be needed. Um, if the Celtics play Philly, they need a big body to be out there playing against Joel Embiid and attacking the glass. Uh, and there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Ennis Cantor is that guy. He, he's the biggest body that the Celtics have on the team, and they're going to need him um, in one sh way, shape, or form if they plan to make a run to the finals. And the last basketball question before we get on to just a little bit about you, and I know you're pressed for time, sure. so we'll keep it short. No problem. If you could choose one guy in the roster that you feel like is going to be a dark horse to make a big impact once the postseason rolls around, who would it be? Oh, I mean, ooh, that's hard uh, because, you know, you know who your top five guys are. So I guess you've got to, if you want to talk about dark horse, you've got to go a little bit beyond that. Um, and I don't even know if this is a dark horse guess either, but Shemi Ojale, um, we've seen him be a critical defender for the Boston Celtics when they played the Milwaukee Bucks. And if the Boston Celtics are going to get to the NBA finals, they are going to go through the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm almost certain of that, at least, you know, seeing how the seed seating is right now. Um, if that changes, then maybe that's a whole different story, but Shemi Ojale is going to be an important factor in that series if and when these two teams meet. The Celtics are going to need him to defend Giannis at, at a high level, as he's done really on a consistent basis since he came into the league. So um, if I'm going to say dark horse, it's going to be, it's going to be Shemi Ojale, you know, playing in a series against the Bucks. And I tell you what, he's improved his three-point shot this season compared to the previous couple um, when he has played against the Bucks. So if he can be a 3-and-D guy for them in the postseason against Milwaukee, that could be a difference maker. He's lined up against Giannis. 33 times this season across two games, 
held him to 33% shooting. I mean, not many players can say they're holding him that low. No, not bad. That's not bad. (laughs) And I'd be curious to see how many charges he drew against him as well, because he always seems to be, it's, it's like, uh, for some reason, he knows instinctually just with that matchup, what Giannis is going to do next. And it seems like he beats Giannis on Giannis's own move often. And because of that, he's able to draw charges. He's been doing it for three years. Um, so away, I, I wouldn't right? expect that to change now. Yeah, he only, Giannis only managed to get two fouls on him as well over those 33 possessions, which is good. I mean, Giannis can draw fouls by breathing on people, and it's a foul yeah. for Giannis. So um, that's a great, great little look. So moving on to just a little bit about you before we wrap up. You covered Celtics, you're in the locker room and stuff. How did you get to where you are? Yeah, I guess it's, a, it's an interesting story, and I'll try to keep it brief. But when I was in college, every, everything that I did was with the goal of working in the NBA. That's what I wanted to do. So everything that, you know, if I could, um, if I was given an assignment and it was open topic, it was always going to have to do something with the NBA. So I did, I, I was writing one feature magazine story, um, and I chose to write it on expansion NBA, excuse me, expansion sports franchises. And at that time, um, the Charlotte Bobcats at the time had recently become an expansion team in the NBA. They're obviously now the Charlotte Hornets. But um, I conducted a few interviews with people from that organization, and one of them was a graduate from my college. Uh, So we had that connection. Um, And I guess during the interview process, uh, when I was interviewing him, I impressed him. Um, And he wound up telling me, hey, if you ever need help with anything, reach out to me, and I'll see what I can do. So... I landed um, an internship program um, through my school out in Los Angeles. Um, And I called him up and I said, hey, I need help. I want an internship that has to do with the NBA when I go out to Los Angeles for the semester. And he said, let me see what I can do. He actually wound up lining me up with uh, BDA Sports Agency, which is uh, a massive basketball sports representation agency. Um, So I wound up working for them while I was out in LA. Having that on my resume got me my first job out of college with the Orlando Magic. And then having that and the Orlando Magic on my resume got me my job up here in Boston. So it was kind of a chain reaction, but it all goes back to that first interview that I conducted with, with that person who had gone to my school, you know, 10, 20 years prior um, and really impressing him during that interview process and being thankful for him taking his time. Um, those small things wound up leading me to where I am now. It's kind of crazy to think about it. It's crazy. It's mad how everything falls into place once you're, um, you know where you want to be and what you're trying to do. Yeah, and you've also got to get lucky, though. You definitely oh, got to get lucky. <laughs> yeah, there's always a the strike of luck in there, too. And now yep. you're around these guys all the time. You're seeing their development. Do you feel, and we'll wrap up on this one, so we'll end on this, would you say the Celtics are going to win, win the whole chip, or where do you see them finishing up? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really strange. I've said to some people, you know, my girlfriend, my family, um, some friends are, are, are who I've talked to and seen over the last couple of weeks. For some reason, I, I just get this really good feeling about this team right now. Every, everything that I hear them say, they're saying the right things. Like they're concentrating. They're not concentrating and posting pictures on Instagram of the food and complaining about the food down in Orlando. They're not complaining about their beds that other players are complaining about. They're going down there and concentrating on the task at hand, and that's trying to win this championship. And I I thought before that they had the talent to potentially do it. You know, you need some things to go your way, maybe an injury on another team. Um, You know, maybe someone just has an off game or two. They're going to need that still. 
But when I see the way that they're, they're concentrating collectively on the task at hand, I just really, I have this feeling that, that they're in a great place going into this seating, these seeding games. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. And, and I'm not saying this just because I work for the team. Like, I just get a good vibe about what's going on with these guys right now. And, and they're, I think they're comfortable in this unique environment that, that they're facing down in Orlando. Like, no one's ever faced this before. They don't care. They just want a ball. Um, and they're going to be fine with the food that, that they get. They're going to be fine with the beds. All they care about is what's going to happen on that court. Um, and I think their team chemistry is really going to help with that. So, yes, I do think that they've got a shot. I'm not going to say that they're going to win it. They need a lot to go their way. But um, I really like what I'm seeing and hearing out of that locker room on a daily basis right now. Have you ever played one-on-one with any of these guys? I have not, thank God, because it wouldn't go well. <laughs> I was hoping yeah. for some, um, some secrets. Hey, every, everyone used to talk about Aaron Baines getting dunked on. Trust me, it'd be a lot worse for me if I was trying to protect, protect the rim. They'd be dunking all over my face. I'd, I'd probably be shamed for the rest of my life if that video <laughs> got out. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from playing one-on-one against our guys. I was hoping for some secret story where you've crossed someone over or something. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for joining us, Mark. I hope um, you're staying safe. I know you're a busy guy, so I appreciate you taking the time to jump on. No problem at all. Thanks for thinking of me. And, you know, if you ever want me to come out again, feel free to re- reach out. Oh, for sure. The off-season's going to be um, jam-packed with me requesting. So, uh, hey, there you go. I'll be waiting. Thank you very much, man. Awesome. No problem.